has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. When we get a paper cut in the skin or experience a sunburn, we're injuring the peripheral nerves of the body. These nerves are small, but others like the funny bone called the ulnar nerve or the sciatic nerve that travels down the leg are larger. All of these nerves are part of the peripheral nervous system and consist of nerves outside the brain and spinal cord. You know, it was once believed that if human nerve cells were damaged, they couldn't regenerate. Today, neuroscientists have determined that these cells can, in fact, regrow and reconnect in the peripheral nervous system. But the process is limited and very slow. Yet, researchers are discovering ways of stimulating nerve regrowth in an effort to restore sensory and motor function and to ease pain. Patients with uh, diabetic and HIV neuropathy, trauma, or tumors may someday benefit from the progress of this research. Today, Dr. Douglas Zakodny joins us once again. He's a neurologist and neuroscientist at the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. We'll delve into the potential of reversing the damage of diabetes on nerves, the promise of nerve growth factors, and the timeline for clinical use of these novel treatments for nerve regeneration. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, Atlantis Health Group, The Pain Community, and DepotMed Incorporated. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Dr. Douglas Zakodny is a professor in the Department of Clinical Neurosciences at the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. He's a leader in the study and implementation of nerve regeneration and a team leader of research scientists at the Hotchkiss Brain Institute. Dr. Zakodny, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. In our last show, we talked about uh, RAGs, which are regeneration-associated genes. Uh, when a nerve cell is injured, the nerve tries to trigger these RAGs, if you will, that support regrowth. We also talked about P10, that is P-T-E-N, which is an acronym, and that restricts nerve regrowth after injury. You recently wrote about the, the challenges and beauty of peripheral nerve regrowth, and you talk about the functional elegance of the peripheral nerve. W- would you recall the steps that are needed for nerve regeneration? Well, I think by elegance we meant that it, it, it's a whole coordinated series of events. Mm-hmm. So as soon as a nerve injury occurs, the, the distal stump degenerates, but there's also this upregulation of the rags at the uh, cell body to prepare the nerve to, to begin to regrow. Uh-huh. Uh, so a whole series of steps are, are required. First, the sprouts form. And each of these steps is uh, terribly interesting and complicated in and of themselves. So why the rags come up uh, has been a big story. 
you know, what senses that? How does the nerve tell when to upregulate its regeneration genes? There's a there's another strategy that uh, some of my colleagues um, have started, and we helped, uh, where you can actually stimulate a nerve electrically uh-huh. and turn on the rags. Right. And this actually improves regeneration. This is work uh, done by, again, Tom Brushart, uh, Valerie Verge, Tessa Gordon, um, who's shown that a brief period of electrical stimulation is enough to set off the rags, but that's that's one piece of the story. Then how sprouting occurs, um, that's where P10 comes in. Yeah. Then the nerve needs to reconnect to its uh, targets to interact with the cells. New myelin has to form. There was a uh, an interesting study done a number of years ago where people had these hand transplants, so the hand was completely severed and and they reconnected the hand, um, and they could sew up three of the four nerves. But despite that, five years later, the nerves had not grown from the wrist to the ends of the finger. So just reconnecting where they're supposed to is another major challenge and an interesting problem. Well, it is interesting and it's complex, but you, along with other researchers, are working through it. And that's exciting. You know, in point of fact, there is a strong relationship between the central nervous system, the CNS, which consists of the brain and spinal cord, and the peripheral nervous system, which consists of the nerves that lie outside the brain and spinal cord. These are nerves like the the ulnar nerve, which is the funny bone, uh, the median nerve, for example, which is the nerve that's compressed uh, when we develop carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah, I, I think uh, there there is a very strong connection between the two systems, and, and one may help the other. Many of the molecules are the same. Mm-hmm. What we all often argued and advocacy groups such as the Neuropathy Association, they say is that, you know, these disorders of peripheral nerves are as or more common than the CNS disorders. Um, yeah. And so they need a lot of attention in and of themselves, even if no benefit was identified for the central nervous system. Uh, we need a lot more attention for neuropathies. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you and other neuroscientists are bringing attention to the problem. Let's now talk about diabetes, that is diabetic neuropathy, because in almost 50% of patients who develop diabetes, they will experience pain at some point in their lives. And that's a huge, huge number. Will you describe the nature of the damage that's done in diabetes to the peripheral nerves? Well, uh, it's uh, very common. It it may be present in over half of diabetic subjects if if you test carefully. Uh, Symptoms of it, though, may be in 20%. Mm -hmm. So it, it... tends to target sensory nerves early and also the autonomic nerves. Right. The autonomic nerves are, again, outside the the brain and spinal cord, and they consist of nerves that control things like heart rate and blood pressure and sweating. Let's talk about some of the early symptoms of diabetic neuropathy. Early symptoms might be the very ends of the longest nerves that are affected first Mm -hmm. with tingling, numbness, pins and needles sensations, burning feelings. So it's... um, it's a unique kind of neurodegenerative problem in that it targets these very distal terminals of the um, nerves first. They um, retract and may disappear from the skin, causing numbness. Yeah. Uh, over a long period of time, the whole nerve cell may be lost. But early on, we think it's just the, the distal portions of it. And patients get what is described as stocking and glove sensory symptoms or loss. So the longest fibers are affected. It's as if where they have socks are is, is where it's numb or 
tingling or painful. For, for many years, we felt that high glucose levels can lead to diabetic neuropathy, but, but what's the current view? Yeah, so that's a very good question and, and an area that there's a lot of debate mm-hmm. and not a clear answer on yet. We do know that the better the control of your glucose levels and the longer it stays under excellent control, the less likely you are to get symptoms of neuropathy yeah. and the less likely it is to progress. So tight control of glucose levels is really important. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's glucose is the toxic agent, and there's a lot of data on this, it can cause um, what's called oxidative stress to neurons. Uh, it can affect how the proteins are structured and function. Right. Um, it may affect the blood vessel supply to the nerve, although we don't think that's the primary mechanism. Um, so that's one side of the story. The other side of the story that's interesting is that insulin itself is a growth factor. It uh, has receptors right on nerve cells. If you take nerves in addition, expose them to insulin, they start growing more. So in diabetes, we think it's both the lack of insulin, the glucose toxicity, and um, we think that nerve cells also develop what we call insulin resistance, Mm -hmm. just like patients may have in their muscles and and fat cells. They require high doses of insulin but they're not necessarily successful in doing its job. And the neurons are the same way. They don't signal insulin properly. Right. Great summary. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Zakadny about whether nerves can repair and regenerate if glucose levels are under good control. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Laboratories, a leader in the science of toxicology and pharmacogenetics, is transforming the way healthcare professionals monitor and manage their patients' medication therapy. Through the use of advanced technology supported by research and education, Millennium helps practitioners personalize care for patients. For more information, please visit www.millenniumlabs.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. We're here speaking with Dr. Uh, Doug Zakadny, who is a clinical neuroscientist and neurologist from the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada. Uh, Doug, for those with peripheral nerve fiber damage, that is from diabetes, if we assume that their blood glucose levels remain under good control, are these cells able to repair and or regenerate? Despite good control of blood glucose, um, people's nerves, the neuropathy, it's hard to reverse and hard to make better. And I think that's a that's a key strategy, taking away whatever it is that's toxic and damaging the nerves, but also coaxing them to regrow. Exactly. I mean, that's the key. Uh, Doug, are there any biomarkers for diabetic peripheral neuropathy? I mean, that is lab tests that help diagnose the disease. There are criteria using a neurological examination um, and using what are called quantitative sensory testing and um, an old standard test called nerve conduction studies. EMG is a, a loose term for that. Some new work um, done by um, Dr. Malik um, in the UK on um, looking at the nerve supply in the cornea mm-hmm. 
and you can get a handle on what's happening in diabetic neuropathy with this faster non-invasive test. It's still a research tool. It's not out there as a standard test for diabetic neuropathy, but it's very promising in that by getting a five-minute view of the cornea of the eye, you can see the nerve supply uh-huh. um, and what's happening to it. Well, that'd be very quick and easy and, and very non-invasive. Exactly. It seems like this could be used as an early diagnostic tool, and then it could be used as a means of monitoring successful treatment. Yes, earlier perhaps, mm-hmm. and then seeing if, if what you're doing is helping. Exactly. Uh, Doug, now let's talk about nerve growth factors, because I know you've done some research on these, the, these proteins that are needed for nerve growth and survival. These are proteins produced by the body that attach to receptors on nerve cells and cause a growth response, mm-hmm. just like the insulin and insulin receptor. Once they connect on the surface of the cell body, then they send signals inside the nerve cell, uh, begin to grow, uh, you know, it may affect the regeneration associated genes. Yeah. Uh, they are present normally in the body. The question is whether there's enough uh, concentration, say, of nerve growth factor in a person's skin to support growth. Maybe too much of it is not a good thing either. It may shut off growth. Mm-hmm. What about the potential and the therapeutic promise for nerve growth factors? Well, yeah, the numbers are growing, um, and uh, it's it's not clear if, if any of these factors yet uh, have a role. Um, the the prototype was nerve growth factor discovered by um, Levi Montalcini, uh, an Italian neuroscientist who had to do some of their experiments in her basement during the Second World War when she was also being persecuted by the Nazis. Mm. Uh, so she discovered this molecule, nerve growth factor, that allowed nerves, sympathetic nerve or autonomic nerves to grow rapidly. And then subsequently, they've identified a whole family of these growth factors. Right. Recombinant human nerve growth factor has been used in um, in clinical trials. Um, in diabetes, uh, there were mixed results. Early results looked good. Mm-hmm. Then uh, a more careful um, phase three trial was negative. Um, it did show some promise in HIV-related neuropathy, um, but it's, it's not been out there as a standard uh, therapy just yet. It's unfortunate, too, because since the Phase 3 trial, and the Phase 3 trial, by the way, is, is a clinical trial uh, whereby the, the study is performed in large groups of people to confirm the effectiveness of the particular treatment and to continue to monitor side effects. And so if that Phase 3 trial is negative in this case, then it's difficult to uh, garner commercial support for further studies and unfortunately. Talk to us now about the interplay between nerve growth factors' ability for nerve regrowth and nerve protection. Oh, we think that if um, the nerves have been signaled by a growth factor, mm-hmm. a nerve growth factor or insulin, and the molecules in the nerve cell have changed in such a way that they're in a regenerative kind of mode, they're also more resistant to damage and death. Mm. So the two seem to go together, the ability to regrow but also the resistance to disease. Well, and I'm assuming, too, that if nerve growth factor can reduce neuropathy, then it will also reduce neuropathic pain. Doug, nerve growth factor is needed for nerve growth and survival when we're less than five years old. But as we age, nerve growth factor sensitizes neurons in the bone, for example. I mean, it sensitizes sensory nerve fibers. And today we have drugs that are available to block nerve growth factor to decrease bone pain. But you and others are doing the opposite. I mean, that is, you're studying and using nerve growth factor instead of blocking it in a way that reduces neuropathic pain. I mean, this seems puzzling. Yeah, yeah. 
it is it is odd, and I've, I've raised this question. That's the problem with probably inappropriate growth factor signaling is that it, it might generate some pain, and some arthritis trials are using anti-nerve growth factor trials to to try and reduce pain. I'm 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 kind of worried about the long-term impact of that. I do think that there's an ongoing adult maintenance role for mm-hmm. growth factors. Mm-hmm. It may be more subtle and different uh, over time. Uh, and we don't understand it fully, but you're right. It, it's a much more potent actor in young people and growth. And I wonder how we're going to use nerve growth factor therapeutically, because on the one hand, we can block nerve growth factor to reduce pain. But on the other hand, we can use nerve growth factor to reduce pain. I want to talk now about the regeneration of diabetic axons. And remember, the axons are the wire of part of the nerve uh, by manipulating certain genes. And we talked about previously uh, an enzyme called P10, P-T-E-N, which inhibits nerve regeneration. And we also talked about an S-I-R-N-A, which is, which is like a molecule that prevents genes from working properly. And in this case, the S-I-R-N-A is used to inactivate P10 and when we inactivate P10, the nerve is allowed to regrow. Yeah, well, I think that's what we'd like to know more about how, what's going on in the nerve cell that is part of the degenerative problem of diabetes. So yeah. we, we know a few players, but I don't think we know the whole repertoire. The siRNA approach is a way to manipulate the gene output of a nerve using an siRNA against P10. We were able to get diabetic nerves to grow better. But diabetics have a double hit. They develop neuropathy, but their ability to regenerate as well is impaired. Uh, so they not only develop a degenerative neuropathic problem, but if the diabetes ended or if that toxic event ended, they re- regenerate much more slowly. So mm-hmm. that's a ongoing challenge. But the diabetic nerve cells do seem to have inappropriately high levels of P10. And in that instance, if you're able to knock it down by gene manipulation, it can improve growth. Right. Listen, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Zakadni about the promise of gene transfer. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. DepoMed Incorporated, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing products to treat pain and other central nervous system conditions. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Let's now talk about the possibility of gene transfer. What I mean is transferring a gene that would code for healthy nerve development. Um, you're thinking more of a, a DNA transfer, which, which may be possible, yes. Um, I think with the sRNA, you can manipulate what the genes do because you're blocking the step from DNA to RNA to protein. And so these sRNAs inhibit the RNA step and they prevent the protein from being produced. So it's a bit of an easier way to uh, 
manipulate what the nerve cells are doing. Right, right. You know, I use electrical stimulation in the form of uh, spinal cord stimulation to reduce neuropathic pain. That is to reduce, you know, shooting, burning leg pain, for example. And uh, I've noticed that there are studies on the use of electrical stimulation in animals, and specifically mice, to accelerate peripheral nerve regeneration after injury. Let's delve into that. Yes. So, so my colleagues, Drs. Gordon and uh, and Ming Chen up at the University of Alberta, um, have done some nice work in humans as well. So, after a nerve injury, and and they've been applying it in patients that have come in uh, having had traumatic uh, nerve injuries. Mm-hmm. After a nerve injury, if you uh, simply stimulate the nerve uh, proximal to the site of injury, so just above the site of injury, for an hour at 20 hertz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then take away the stimulating electrodes and, and leave the patient be, they actually recover better than uh, doing nothing. Wow. Or just sewing the, trying to sew the nerve back together. Uh, so Dr. Ming Chen and at the University of Alberta tried this on patients who were having carpal tunnel surgery and found by stimulating the nerve for an hour, the outcome from carpal tunnel surgery was, was better. Uh-huh. And the mechanism seems to be that it upregulates these RAGs or regeneration genes. So it's an interesting, easy, less invasive way to, to help uh, more than we have. Well, that's remarkable. I mean, uh, the fact that you can use electricity that stimulates the RAGs or the regeneration-associated genes, which in turn support regrowth. Do you have any details of that study? What uh, uh, Dr. Chan did is is he had the surgeons just leave electrodes around the nerve after they'd opened it up and um, operated, and uh, and then he could stimulate for an hour and then just pull these wires out, you mm-hmm. know, without damaging anything, and um, uh, and it would seal up and. Um, and he would have an impact from stimulation. Yeah, you know, I think in the future we can certainly stimulate, well, we do now, stimulate nerves through the skin, which may obviate the need of of leaving electrodes inside the wound or right on top of the nerves. Did that study affect both motor and sensory nerves? His results looked like um, there was more of an effect on motor nerves. In the animals, though, it's clearly both. Tessa Gordon showed a rather dramatic effect on motor nerves initially, then her colleague Valerie Verge on sensory uh, neurons as well. So I think both. Even if you take an adult nerve cell on a dish Mm -hmm. and stimulate it in the same way, you can see the growth um, in front of your eyes. Yeah. So it's a robust effect. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I wonder whether electrical stimulation will be used in humans, uh, not only as a pain reliever, but but a nerve regenerator for the spinal cord uh, and the peripheral nervous system. If we look into the future, what do you think we'll see in the field of nerve regeneration? Well, I think one is um, the fact that insulin acting as a growth factor can influence uh, nerve cell growth. I think that will that will come along. And people can now give insulin intranasally and it gets into the spinal fluid and then around the nerve cells. Mm -hmm. And so intranasal insulin does have uh, the potential sooner than later. So that would be one, uh, I think. Localized and circumscribed use of uh, P10 inhibition to begin early outgrowth of uh, of fibers after an injury, I think would be another. Right. Well, those two are, are pretty, very encouraging, actually. Doug, what hope is there for patients with neuropathic pain or nerve injury? There's a a lot of people out there looking, and even the pain treatments are changing day by day, and Mm -hmm. better ones are slowly coming along. You know, 20 years ago, we didn't have pregabalin and and other antidepressants, so there have been improvements. So hang in there. I think there'll be more specific pain drugs. And then the whole part of the regeneration piece to have the nurse grow back 
people are, are working in serious ways to improve this. So don't go for the amputation. Something might come along. Keep your arm. How far are we on the regeneration piece and then the pain treatment piece? Oh, I'd hope within five years. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd have uh, some more aggressive clinical trials in diabetic neuropathy, but also probably for traumatic neuropathy as well. Mm-hmm. I suspect in two or three more years, we're going to have more drugs out there that will target pain specifically. It's the ion channels, yeah, sodium channels and calcium channels. And they certainly are a hot topic today. Dr. Zakadni, thanks so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. Very nice to talk with you. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.